This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com, L-O-N-E-O-A-K, coffee.com, and use promo code COFFEE2020. Today, I talk to former Washington tight end Logan Paulson, who is doing pre- and post-game work covering this team for 106.7 The Fan this season. He's one of the smartest players I've covered. I also talked to ESPN's Josh Weinfuss, who covers the Cardinals. You can follow him on Twitter, at Josh Weinfuss, J-O-S-H-W-E-I-N-F-U-S-S. I also answer some mailbag questions. It is not a Therapy Thursday. we got a lot of talk about Troy Apke and Antonio Gibson. Don't forget, you can read my work on ESPN.com. I'll have a story up Friday about Washington's defensive front now trying to corral Kyler Murray and all the challenges that presents. It is a fun matchup. And now, here's my conversation with former Washington tight end, Logan Paulson. For those listening, you can check out Logan. You're doing work on 106.7 The Fan pre- and post-game, correct? Yep, that's correct. So I'm, I'm going to give you a little plug here because you I think I've told you this, but you are one of the smarter players I've dealt with. I'm so glad that you're doing stuff on radio so people can get your insight. So I hope you're enjoying that role. I am. Well, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't for you. You really gave me a nice push, and I appreciate that because I've had a lot of fun with it so far. Well, good. Well, you're very good. So let's get into it because I, I love your insights. Looking back at the week one game, what what were your, what was your general takeaway? What did you learn about this team after watching that game? Man, I think, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that Thing almost at every position because it's the first game. There was no preseason, obviously. So it's really the first time you get to see kind of how everyone's working together. I did feel like there was a little bit of rust on the defensive side of the ball for the first quarter, quarter and a half, you know, a lot of missed tackles, kind of some poor penalties, you know, offsides and a personal foul, stuff like that. And I felt like they really settled in nicely. And I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, then you get to see what the defense is capable of in the second half of that football game, the last three quarters of that football game. And you know, I would say, yes, I would agree with that. But also, I think you saw a very poor Philadelphia Eagles team. You know, I think their offensive line was extremely banged up. And um, I think some of that production is due to that. You know, and I think it's important to kind of keep that in mind. And sure. also, I think a total meltdown by Carson Wentz. I think the defense did a good job of making him uncomfortable. And the corners made some excellent plays on the football that allowed the uh, Washington football team's offense to, to make plays. But I, I don't think we saw the best version of the Philadelphia Eagles. And now that being said, I think it's really important that, um, you know, when you get a team that's kind of limping in, that you keep them limping and you make those and, and you win games that you're supposed to win or you're not supposed to win. You can win maybe is the way to phrase that. Well, I guess so, they took it. Yeah, they took advantage of that that line. And it seemed like they tested their communication at times and certain blitzes and looks. 
Um, and then other times talent took over too, because there were, you know, Kelsey got beat a few times, Peters got beat. But uh, so how do you, how do you separate that to say, well, this is the part that you can take going forward that you can really build upon? Yeah. So I think, um, I think, like you said, like there are flashes, you know, like when you see uh, Payne blowing Kelsey up, who's maybe yeah. one of the best in the NFL, you know, like just in asserting himself in every facet of the game internally, you know, like the pressure that they were able to generate off of just rushes. And some of that was scheme, obviously, and some of that was Philadelphia. But I do think just watching it from like a talent, talent evaluation standpoint, you get to see kind of how special that group is and how special they can be. I think they have a lot of growing still to do, which is kind of a scary thing to think about. But just from a strictly like what mom and dad and God gave you, that group is really, really special, you know, across the board. And then obviously first first look at Chase Young in the NFL. What jumped out to you? So, yeah, I was, you know, obviously he had a couple of false starts and, you know, he didn't play like the cleanest game. But one of the things that I just I loved about him, you know, uh, and, you know, like I love watching guys in the draft and sure. I like I like watching the talents and all that stuff. But it's just the way he moves, you know, like not only as a pass rusher, but like the way he's running down running backs on screens his instinct, the way he pursues the football, the way he can kind of sink his hips. You just see the kind of tremendous athleticism that was advertised, you know, for and the reason he was the second pick overall. So to me, I'm I'm really excited to see him develop. You know, I think we talked about Montez Sweat, you know, like mm -hmm. earlier last week. And he um and he's a lot like me, like Chase Young in my opinion. Like I think he's got a lot of talent. Uh but I it'll be interesting to see how Chase Young handles the mental side of it. You know, does he right. handle in the same way that Sweat does. Is he a, prep, a prepared rusher every week? You know, like one of the things I learned when I was in Houston talking to guys like J.J. Watt and um, Marcellus Wiley is that, like, you have to have a plan as a rusher. You know, every tackle has a weakness, and you have to be able to figure out the best way to exploit that. And, um, you know, you said Sweat didn't have that last year, or it's something he cultivated later in the year. And I hope right. that Chase learns from his mistake and gets that going sooner because I think he's going to just have a, a dynamite year if he can get that figured out. Could you see if he had one? And the reason I asked that, because like they, early on, he was playing mostly on the left side. Then his success came on the right side against Peters. Could you see him at all using a plan? And if so, what are some of the things that would show that? You know, I'm hoping to watch the game again tonight and get all 22 tomorrow. So you know, like you just kind of have your first impression, right? And I think a little bit of it, you know, like when you look at elite pass rushers like Chandler Jones or, you know, Khalil Mack or Von Miller, like it looks different. They just kind of go to their to their bag and they know when to go there. And I felt like a little bit, and this is just my initial reaction, right? Sure. Like I think it's, I think maybe when I watch it, I'll feel differently. I think he was a little bit, you know, like I'm used to being bigger and stronger and faster and better bendy than everybody. Like, I'm just going to do that. And there were times where against Jason Peters, for example, he would just kind of try to take him right down the middle early in the game, you know, and it's like that guy's 370 pounds, probably like there's other ways, you know, like let's go to some other bags in the trick or tricks in the bag kind of thing. So again, maybe I feel differently in, you know, 48 hours when I watch that tape, but that was kind of my initial thought was like, I didn't see, kind of all the stuff from him. And again, that could be a lot because they were playing Carson Wentz and Carson Wentz is a notorious, you know, kind of extending the play guy. And usually uh, defensive coordinator will say, we're going to take more stringent rush paths, you know, like kind of bull rush, you know, tight edges. We're not going looping around. We're not giving right. a lot of space. So that might've been a result of kind of prepping for that opponent. So how long do you think it can take a pass rush to learn 
some of those things. Again, like you look at his debut and it was really good because there were a lot of impact plays that he made. He helped yeah. set some guys up. So how long do you think it can take a guy to to go from winning on talent with some game planning to winning both, both ways yeah. and, and doing even more? Yeah, well, like from everything I've heard about him, from you and Chris Russell and stuff I've read about him, he just seems like he's wired the right way, you know. And I think, you know, while Jason Peters is an older guy, he's a veteran, you know. He understands yeah. kind of some of those nuances of pass protection that, like, can only come from playing the position at a high level for, you know, a decade, almost two decades, right? So I think that as, as much as everyone wants to say he should kill Jason Peters, like Jason Peters is a really good football player. And I think uh, I think as he goes and as he gets – you know, guys who haven't played for, you know, a hundred years of football, like he's going to, like some of that's going to come to life. He's going to see kind of the advantages of different, I think it'll happen quickly for him. I really do. Cause he has, like in college, he had like three pretty reliable kind of moves that he would go to. And in my experience, if a guy's got three, they can be special kind of right off the bat. So it's just about like kind of winning, like when uh, do I throw those pitches if I'm him and how do I set them up against good pass protectors? And I think, that's just going to come with experience and kind of getting against different guys. And I think it'll happen really quickly because he's already got the pitches, if that makes sense. It's kind of scary where he can get to. Yeah, it is really. It's, I mean, it's, he's got everything you want, you know? And so that's, that is pretty scary. Uh, offensively, what was your takeaway and, and and what, either concerns or, you know, things that you can build on? Yeah. So I think offensively, you know, it wasn't, super sharp and I think a little bit of that it's probably it's you know Scott Turner's first time calling a real game in a long time and I think it wasn't the cleanest and uh, you know Haskins I think uh did a good job of not turning the ball over he was able to kind of get the offense to take advantage of turnovers which again that's so that cannot the importance of that cannot be overstated that is extremely critical not turning the football over and taking advantage of turnovers the defense gives you However, like, you know, I thought he was a little inconsistent. And again, he's a young football player. It's a new offense for him. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm hating on him. But, right. you know, I think there are some things from a fundamental standpoint that I think he probably knows he's got to work on, too. You know, and I'd like to see that kind of and that's not going to happen overnight. That's going to take weeks and weeks and weeks of him sure. working hard, preparing and kind of embracing that stuff we talked about, um, you know, like that new work ethic, the new version of him. But, you know, from a leadership standpoint, like he did some cool stuff. He gave the halftime speech. He was talking to the defense. Like that's all good stuff to see. And hopefully uh, the physical kind of development goes along with it. I was I was actually um, uh, Gibson. I was pretty impressed with him. I know a lot of people said, oh, his production really wasn't there. But I, I thought I saw enough flashes and kind of enough of his ability. And I like the way that the offense was trying to utilize McKissick and him together at the same time. Right. I mean, I think, I think they'll get into some more diverse stuff as they go, you know. But I like that that's happening. I like they're both on the field. Those are really two uh, two nice explosive weapons. And um, so all that was good. Uh, it was nice to see the tight ends kind of come alive a little bit. And um, I thought they did a good job. The O-line, you know, for all their kind of doubts about that left side, I thought they performed relatively well. You know, I think uh, Christian gave up a sack. But on the whole, I think he performed pretty well. So It seemed like there are times he, he has a tendency to reach with his arms. And the, I know yeah. you line coaches always say reach with your feet. And I, it seemed like at times that Dwayne um, or the offense didn't suffer because of it because the ball yeah. came out fast or whatever. So I guess so. even on their mistakes, it didn't kill them. 
Yeah, and I think that's like one of the things like uh, a great example of that is like Nate Soldier when he was with Tom Brady, like his production was through the roof, right? Even though his technique wasn't very good, he right. ended up getting get a lot of money. Yeah. And then he goes to a different scheme where they don't where they don't get the ball as quickly and, he, and his production suffered. And I think uh, Scott Turner could probably take a lot of credit for that, kind of knowing what he's got in the front and, you know, not letting Dwayne hold the ball too long and not, I think it's also, you know, a testament to Scott that he didn't force um, Dwayne into situations where he's having to push the ball down the field. He doesn't have to be Superman. It's all kind of very doable throws and let him be comfortable and, you know, don't force him. Don't, don't, he doesn't have to win the game right now, I guess, if that makes sense. With, with his halftime speech, because in covering this game for a long time, you usually hear about halftime speeches after a team wins. I'm sure yeah. there are a lot that are given when a team yeah. goes on to lose. But what was the importance of that for, for Dwayne Haskins to get up there and do that? Is it being overstated or is it, is a, you know, or is it, or is it a big deal that he did that? Yeah, I'm hoping to talk to some of the guys about it this week just to see how they feel about it. You know, I just kind of think back to when I played, if a young player got up and did that, it just depends on on how that locker room sees him, I think. Um, so, you know, if if he's earned that respect, if he's earned that right, I think a lot of guys are going to be very receptive to him. And I think that's, that is a great leadership moment for him if he's earned that right. And I right. think there are guys who get up and talk who haven't earned it in guys just kind of laugh it off. And it from what Ron Rivera said, and again, like he has skin in the game with regards to how the locker room sees Haskins. Uh, he said that it was received very well. And um, that's the only information I have to go on. And so I would say that some of that work ethic stuff that, that you've brought to, that you've been talking about, I think maybe guys appreciate that. And they see that he is, is, is pulling for them. And, um, and, and if that's the case, that's a really positive sign. Now it could easily be the other way, but, I'm going to hopefully I'm going to lead towards glass half full and the team is is supporting him. Yeah. And I think time will tell itself on that one too. And when you go out and win and he did do well, he did much better in the second half. And so I think yeah. that, and I think I, for me, like I like that he didn't, you know, they were struggling early. There was no hanging to the head, yeah. kept, you know, yeah. competed. You know, there are some things that I think you can build on from him. One, one of the other thing I want to ask you about too, because like, you know, we talk a lot about Ron Rivera's influence and it being a new coach, how long does it take a team to maybe start to mirror the personality of a coach? And did you see any of that happening? I know it seems pretty fast, but how, you know. You it, is, it is very fast. And But I, I do think that when you have a guy who's got the pedigree of Ron Rivera, and I know he's got somewhat of a mixed pedigree over the last, you know, five years, but he has been to a Super Bowl. He's coached some very successful football teams, and he has that kind of, reputation of being a little bit of a gambler and an aggressive play caller. And you got to see that yesterday. And um, I, I think the, the main thing is that I saw a confident football team. And so like when you get a new coach, I think that's sometimes what you're doing is you're trying to change the, the culture and you're trying to change the team's perception of itself. And I think that's what I saw yesterday with uh, coach Rivera. And um, I think that I think hopefully they, they can continue to build on that because nothing creates buy-in like a win and a win that you probably should, you you probably stole a little bit, you know what I mean? So I think that um, moving forward, they're going to, um, if they can continue to have some success, even, even, even kind of success in a loss, I think they're going to get good buy-in from him. And then the roster over the years is just going to get better under his guidance. So, you know, if this year is, is a solid, consistent year, kind of showing them what they can do, it's going to be a great uh, tenure for him and for the team. So, 
I, I have two more things for you, Logan. One on on Gibson. You brought up you saw some flashes. What yeah. is it that you, what jumped out in that regard for you? Well, I think there's a guy you know in Gibson who's only had like 30, 37 snaps at running back in college. He played running back at Senior Bowl, so like his like running back career running back stats are you know less than what some guys get in two games in the NFL. So. Um, for him to come out kind of with good vision, good feet, good toughness, physical running style, like um, obviously like I think there's some things to work on. And I think, you know, some of the runs that they call for him could be a little bit kind of suit suit his strengths a little bit more. But uh, I was really impressed with those aspects of it for a guy who's not played the position for an ultra long time. And then on that little uh, single back power play that they ran where he kind of had the vision to get it backside right. and the speed in the open field. You know, he got a little ahead of himself and kind of stumbled, but <laughs> you, you kind of see what he's physically capable of. And that, to me, like the game yesterday supports the pick in the third round. It supports him having a, like a larger role. It supports them getting rid of Adrian Peterson. And hopefully, like the like the team, he can build on that and because he's going to be a big part of the offense. And like you can just tell they want him to be able to catch the football out of the backfield. They want to be able to do some runs. They want to be able to do some tosses. And it's just going to make that offense really, really dangerous. If he can get – if he can be used – 50% of the way that they use Christian McCaffrey in Carolina, I think that would just be a huge win for the team. And I, and after watching yesterday, I know it's still really early. I think he's definitely capable of it. So, you know, it's funny you brought up the, because the speed on that one 20 yard run where he kind of got tripped up by, by McLaurin's feet. It's like, it almost felt like he got so excited because he saw uh -huh. all this opening that he just, he wasn't sure it's way to way, but that I agree with you on all that last one, Deandre Hopkins, you played with him. Yeah. In, in Houston, now they're facing him this week. What makes him special? So, you know, I've had have been very blessed, you know, over the course of my career to play with Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. And Julio Jones kind of checks all these like freak physical boxes. Like he's six three and a half. He's, you know, 230. He runs like a deer. He's strong in the weight room. He's strong on the field. He's a good leader. And DeAndre is not kind of like the conventional freak, but his freakiness comes, in my opinion, because he has literally the best hands I've ever seen in any capacity. Like just when the ball, like I remember he dropped a pass in practice and I was standing near Brian Cushing, who's been on the team for a long time. And he, this is when I was in Houston. And he said, that's the first time I've ever seen him drop a ball in practice. And he had been there for six years. You know what I mean? And wow. I think that's how good his hands are. He is so competitive when the ball's in the air. And he's got like that competitiveness in all facets. Like he's a tough runner. He's a tough guy. You know, he's not like built the same way Julio is. He doesn't run the same way Julio does, but he has a great feel for zones and how to win on routes. And he is a very, very special player in my opinion. And I think he's going to give the Washington football team some fits this weekend um, just because of that skill set and because of the way they're featuring him. Like it got to the point when I was in Houston, if they were throwing the ball to him, like, you didn't it wasn't like oh my gosh is he going to catch it it was like he is going to catch it and we're going to get a first down and like that's just and that's how they utilized him yesterday and in uh or sunday and i think that he's going to it's it's going to be a tough matchup for for this defense it's going to be a tough one for any defense against that guy so you know and yeah. i also apologize i had you on here i didn't even ask you about a guy named logan getting in the end zone a tight end named logan nonetheless too is yeah. in the end zone <laughs> No, absolutely. Uh, he, he's he's a guy that I've, I've I've said this before, and like, you know, I've kind of I've kept an eye on him because of like his physical characteristics. You know, he's six six, he's two fifty, and he he ran really well at the combine when he ran 
and so I've always kind of kept my eye on him because he made the position switch, and I thought, let's see what he can do. You know, switching a tight end is a tough deal because of the physicality and the the technical awareness you need to play the position. And it's been really cool to watch him kind of grow each year. You know, um, you know, the first year when he was in Arizona, you're, he was okay. You know, special teams, some kind of whatever role he was in. And then when he was in Detroit, you got to kind of see, oh, well, maybe this guy could be something really special. So, you know, obviously yesterday was a little bit more of an expanded role from him, which I think he totally deserves. And, you know, he's earned that opportunity. And I just hope that they keep using him that way. And I, I really think he's going to be capable of, you know, having 40, 45 catches this year. I don't think that's unreasonable. Like we'll see how the year goes and how they use him. But I think that's what his his, his physicality uh, supports, I guess. Awesome. Logan, I always love your insight. So thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thanks, John. Appreciate you having me, man. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Josh Weinfuss. We talk Kyler Murray, where the cards have some weaknesses, and how do you stop DeAndre Hopkins? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You've heard me talking about Lono Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lono Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley, just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, lonocoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lono Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lono Coffee. Visit lonoakcoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E, OAKcoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Josh Weinfuss. So Josh, before I get going on all these big questions, and I appreciate you joining me, but so people know for ESPN, every week we have to do the bold prediction. If you're the visiting reporter, you do a bold prediction. You had DeAndre Hopkins with 150 yards as your bold prediction. How did you miss so badly on that? I know he had 151. <laughs> that was pretty incredible. I mean, he to, when 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 I did that, I was like, you know, there's a good chance he can go off this week simply because no one can really plan for him in this offense because there's no tape on him. And B, he's DeAndre Hopkins, and C, he's quarterback <laughs> Kyler Murray, like. It just it just felt like he was gonna have a big week, and obviously he had a he had a career high fourteen catches and um, one hundred fifty one yards. Why do you think they connect so well? I know let's start with the fact that Hopkins is really good, but why do you, what was their why was their connection so strong? I think that it's it's it's, it's more on 
DeAndre's side than it is Kyler's side because he can catch everything that's thrown his way. A, his hands are, are, are massive. B, he has a huge catch radius. And C, Kyler is very accurate. So I think Kyler yeah. understands if he puts something, puts the ball anywhere near DeAndre Hopkins, he's going to come down with it. And he's young, he's athletic, he's a freak of nature. And I, I think that this, you know, for a guy like Kyler, he has the ideal receiver for his type of, of arm strength. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because he is very accurate. And that's that. And I don't know if it's just because of his baseball days and his, his arm angles, he can do so many different throws, but he is very accurate. And it seems to be – I wonder if that's an underrated part of his game a little bit. Absolutely. There's a there, there's a, an out route that he threw the far hash to the opposite sideline. I mean, it was a 12-yard pass that was essentially 30, 40 yards in the air on a dart. I mean, it was wow. a strain. And that's a big boy throw. And A, Kyler's not big. He's 5'10". And, C, and B, he's second year in the league. But, I mean, he just showed you that he can make these huge, huge throws. And he's – and I want – we'll get to this running in a minute because that's what everybody looked. But as far as his passing goes, where he's, is he at as a passer? Because I know he's not – like, they're not someone that – they don't tack a lot down the field with him, do they? I mean, I was looking at, the, I think, the first game, no completions of 20 air yards or more. So is that not a big part of what they want to do with him? Or is it something that's still developing with him? It's still developing. If if it's there, they want him to do it. I mean, he can he can exactly. air it out 50, 60, 70 yards if he had to. Um, part of it is they don't necessarily have the personnel to do that. They have a couple of speedsters. Um, but the other part of it is that offense, that that Cliff Kingsbury's version of the air raid doesn't really include a ton of downfield plays. It's all short, right. intermediate type of crossing routes, out routes, stuff like that. Um, and it's just a lot of dinking and dunking down the field, which is kind of what that when that offense gets going really fast and that tempo picks up, it's very hard to defend. And um, they'll take their shots here and there, but it's just the offense isn't built that way. But, you know, if they see something, he can he has the arm strength. The other guy, too, then and I'm curious how different this offense looks because of Hopkins, but also because of Kenyon Drake. And I know numbers were kind of modest last week, but what does he add and how, you know, how does he diversify this? You know, it's interesting because I think he's a lot like David Johnson was in 2016 where he can catch the ball of the backfield. He can carry the ball. Uh, might be a little bit more athletic than David Johnson. Obviously, you know, oh. back you know four years ago, Johnson had that huge 2,000-yard season. He blew up, and then he just faded away. Kenyon Drake is a little more, you know, consistent, a little more stable. Um, but he's he's dynamic. He says he can do a little bit of everything. I think in this type of offense, Cliff Kingsbury really appreciates that. The fact that he can run him out of the backfield into a, a route, or he can line him up out wide. Um, so he, he can do a little bit of everything for the team. He's a guy that had he become available, this team would have gone after. Is that he could, because exactly for the reasons you said, the versatility. And when you look at what Washington has done the offseason with the backs and getting going out and getting Antonio Gibson, the J.D. McKissick, they want that versatility. He would have been perfect here. And I know that's someone I think they would have gone after hard. So with with Kyler's legs. How is he, how is he like, how much are they incorporating design runs and him just versus him just going out there and making things happen? Well, Sunday against San Francisco, a large majority of it was just him making something happen. A play broke down or he saw a massive hole and he just took, um, they will call the occasional design run, but the large majority um, of, of what he did on Sunday when he ran for a hundred, he ran for 91 yards because he had a hundred going into the last right. two uh, last two kneel downs took off nine yards. Um, we'll call it a hundred yard game. You know, most of his hundred yards were on 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 runs that he just pulled the ball down and, and 
and then uh, just ran on his own. And see, and you because when I look at Washington, their pass rush obviously last week was very good. The Carol Arizona faced a really good pass rush and a really good defensive front in San Francisco. How how much do you think that wore them down just having to combat to to deal with with Murray's legs? Oh, a ton. And then once once the Cardinals went up tempo, that's when you saw the Niners really start to slow down. And we've talked to a lot of guys in the Cardinals defense through training camp about when they go up tempo in practice, what does it do to the defense? And they said it just if you're not prepared for it, it will it'll hit you in the gut and then it'll wear you down. So every team that plays this offense is going to have to be prepared for that, that moment when the clip calls for the no huddle offense. They're going to go go go, and the, and the problem is. For the defense, is that they can do it all game, and they can really get guys very tired. They also have the personnel to pull that off, it seems. But you, could you see? Could you see when you're watching that game a significant change with that with the Niners' pass rush when they started doing that? There wasn't one. They, they, <laughs> there, there wasn't That's one. a big change. When they went so fast, I mean, they were able to neutralize the pass rush so quickly that it just it wasn't effective anymore. What about look at their defense? And it was. Chase Young here has a really good debut here. Isaiah Simmons, what was his debut like? Not that good. Uh, uh, that's what I heard. Yeah, um, one of the you know on the on the Niners' first touchdown, Raheem Mostert got a pass in the flat, or he he crossed up Isaiah and and he he caught the pass on the inside slant and just was gone. Um, and and that was just a play that just showed Isaiah just. Yes, he, he's an athlete. He is one heck of an athlete, but no preseason. Hasn't really had a lot of time to, you know, absorb what the NFL game is like. And that was kind of a rookie mistake. You know, he, he thought he could do one thing, kept, took his eyes off the off the running back, and then the running back was gone. Um, he only played about 18 snaps, I think it was, out of 61. And he, a lot of it was just a learning curve. He had a bad penalty, um, had a couple, you know, issues, hiccups, mistakes, whatever you want to call them. But, um, yeah, his, his, his debut was, was nothing to write home about. But the upside of that is he can only go up from here. Yeah, and I know, like I know, even in the before the draft, because there were some Washington fans who wanted to take him because of his versatility. I know one of the thoughts here was, but where are you going to play him to really ma- maximize that? Because otherwise, you have someone who can help you here, he can help you here, but you want a stud somewhere. And yeah. I think that was what that was. You know, I do they. You know, I guess like, what do you think their ultimate plan is for him? I think they're going to keep him at inside linebacker just to give him a home base and then let him go yeah. from there. Because he, he can slide out and cover a tight end. He can drop back into coverage if he needs to. He can pass rush off the edge or up the middle. Uh, so I think that's kind of a good place for him to start um, his career and just and then from there just kind of figure it out. Sound like Buda Baker had a really good game, though. Really good game. He, um, yeah, he's he, good. He, yeah, he's, he's very good. Um, a little bit small when it comes to defending the tight end, and that was kind of an issue until he – levied a massive hit on George Kittle and essentially rendered him useless for the rest of the game. Where do you think they're most vulnerable? Probably <laughs> cornerback opposite of Patrick Peterson. If they can start picking on on guys like Drake Kirkpatrick and Byron Murphy, then I think that this game could swing very quickly. But, you know, the front seven's so much better than it was last year, and they, they had some big, big stops against the 49ers. Um, but in the middle of the defense is just just, just solid, you know, with, with – with, um, Isaiah Simmons and Jordan Hex and D- Devondre Campbell, who was a surprise to me on Sunday. So that's probably where I would go. If, 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 I'm, if I'm Washington, I just pick on those guys until the Cardinals figure out a way to stop them. Are you buying this team as a season-long contender already? With an asterisk, because 
they look good against the Niners, but the Niners also had so many guys out. That I think we need to take that into consideration. Um, but, you know, for the Cardinals' sake, they have Washington this week. Then they have Detroit and Carolina. Those are three very winnable games. So if we're looking at 4-0 heading into the second quarter of the season, then I think we could be looking at a playoff team. What would be the one – You know, last, last question for you, Josh. Thank you for coming on. But what would be the number one concern you would have – with this offense, do you are, you are you completely buying that could be as explosive as people say, or is there anything else that you say, well, they've got to get this squared away before you can get to that point? I think the number one issue to me is going to be if teams can figure out how to lock down DeAndre Hopkins. I just don't think that they have an explosive weapon to replace that. Because if you take him out of a game and make Larry Fitzgerald hurt you, he can do it. I don't know if he can do it every week. Christian Kirk he didn't have a good debut. He's been hurt a little bit, you know, last couple of years. I just don't think that they have someone who can go and be that DeAndre Hopkins type 151 yards and 14 catches on a weekly basis. And I think that could be the one thing that's going to bring this offense down. Josh, great insight. I owe you dinner at Twin Peaks next time I'm in town. So we'll get some good wings and salad, maybe a little cabernet. The red wine. Yep. <laughs> yep. What else goes with wings but a nice cab? A nice cab. <laughs> I can't wait. So, <laughs> dude, thanks a lot, man. Anytime. So, After this break, I'll be back to answer your questions. What's up with Antonio Gibson? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. Now let's get to our first mailbag of the season. Before I get to it, a little pre-mailbag version here. I was asked a lot this week about receiver Allen Robinson. Let's be clear, I don't think anyone believes at this point he's available, so let's not waste any more time on him at this point. If there's legitimate trade chatter, let's revisit. We're not there yet. I also get asked a lot about Washington receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden. Two things, missed time in camp because of the concussion, also started slow before that, and he was having some, just having taken time to adjust, so he was a little bit behind. He didn't really stand at all, stand out at all during camp when we were able to watch him, but I think they knew it would take him time, so just be patient there. Um, I think it's not a case of them holding him back. He's got to show more to get on the field. He is a fourth-round pick. It will take time. Finally, one thing I like about Chase Young, how he is with Ryan Kerrigan. I was told earlier this week that a week ago, Young went back and watched a lot of Kerrigan's Purdue film just to see how he had developed as a pass rusher. The kid is always learning. Now, on to your questions. From Jacob Ray at JK Ray ASU. How does a come-from-behind victory affect your outlook for the team for the remainder of this year? It's only one game, but everyone can agree the result far exceeded everyone's expectations. I agree, Jacob. It definitely did because of the comeback win. And the comeback element was was tremendous for this team. You know, if they had gone out and win the, won the game, that would be a good win. But to come back from 17-0 after some of the stuff they've gone through last year, offseason, etc., pretty impressive. But it doesn't really change my expectations at this point. Bad teams win games. Good teams play well consistently. Not calling them bad. 
Don't know if they're good yet. After one game, it's hard to know what any team really is. So I liked what the game showed. Mental toughness, resiliency, the defensive line play. Those are all good signs. I know Philly was missing some key players and the line was an issue, but Washington still came back from 17-0. That was impressive. Philly was also considered the better team going in. There are holes on Washington's front that we all know about. And I also know the offense has a long way to go. They lack enough playmakers, and there are questions about the left side of the line. Jaron Christian reaches way too much with his arms. I wonder what the toll his knee injury is, took on his athleticism. I think that's an area that they were, they were hoping that he'd be good at. I also know they really like Sadiq Charles, and it wouldn't shock me to see Christian having somewhat of a short leash. I don't know that to be completely true, but I do know that they, that they do like Charles and that he, would, he could play left tackle. But I always viewed this as a building block year. Ron Rivera needs to establish a foundation and a standard. They need to see what they have. They need to see what Dwayne Haskins can do. And while he showed some good signs of competing, he, he didn't turn it over, etc., still has mechanical issues that lead to some inaccuracy. Sometimes it's that front shoulder flying open. Sometimes it's, it's where the, the, the front leg, those kind of things, the feet aren't lined up. Those kind of things. Does that improve? You know, he, he, had some, he also had some nice throws. He had some really nice throws to Logan Thomas. He's best when he gets the ball out quick, so they'll have to, will they go more with that strategy? There's a lot still to learn. In talking to an NFC scout this week, he thought they'd still go out and struggle. I don't know. Well, just didn't, he didn't think that they had enough on O to really threaten teams. We'll see. Sometimes a win like Sunday can boost the confidence enough that it makes a difference. Then you go out and play better against Arizona. You win against Arizona. Now you're looking at something maybe a little bit different here. If they can be two and three after five games with the schedule they have, I think that's a good sign. Enjoy that wins. Let's see what happens this week. Then we'll go from there. I would have I would have said the same had they lost last week. This season really is about growth. There's a lot of areas to grow, one of which, again, I, I think the mindset, I think that's one of the things that's interesting to watch develop here. All right, number two, from Martini, at Martini3102. We saw some flashes of Antonio Gibson on Sunday. Was he supposed to be more involved against the Eagles? I know it's a lot to learn. I know he can be such a difference maker and hope it's going well. Well, I can't say that he was going to be more involved, Martini, because I don't know that necessarily to be true. I do know that they kind of started to change that they adapted throughout the game. I also know that he's still learning the position in full, and it takes time. It was his first NFL game at a new position. He had no no preseason games to learn lessons. This is not an easy task for young players, especially those adapting full-time to a new spot. And before anyone says, then why move him? It's because he would not be a starting wide receiver in the NFL. His body is sculpted like a running back. He is a running back here who can go out and line up wide. He showed flashes without a doubt. He also learned that at times has to run with a little bit more patience. They did like his vision for the most part. When he was in the game, they used him. I think he played around 18 snaps. I think he had 11 touches. They felt he missed some cuts. That's what you need to see on film so he can learn. That's what the preseason would have helped him with you know you to see the track on your on your runs and you know the run that he had with um, where he tripped over Terry McLaurin those are the kind of things that you know I know and and talk to some people close to him that he he mentioned that as something that he learned from and how to run with a little bit more patience when you're in that situation that's all good 20 yard run and he learned that's good it's hard in practice when you're not being tackled to the ground to get a true field I definitely expected his I definitely expect his workload to consistently increase. I don't know if it's going to be week by week, but over time, it's going to increase. 
I also think in their situation, they will go with a hot hand and a rotation. I know they think J.D. McKissick can be much more of a factor than he was Sunday, much more. Also, for those asking about Bryce Love, it's not really about him being healthy. He is healthy. It's about him looking closer, getting back to his his quote-unquote old ways. That was not the case in camp. He was getting, he was showing a few more signs at the end there, um, but he was definitely their fifth best running back in camp. But I know there's also a feeling that maybe he can get back there after another month or two. He is definitely worth waiting to see. I liked what that kid did in college. If he can get back there, worth keeping around. So we'll see. Finally, from Heelskin23, curious on my thoughts, curious your thoughts on Troy Apke. He seemed out of position, lucky for the overthrows and a couple balls. Thoughts on his first starts? Did he settle down? I got a lot of questions on Apke, and I have a couple thoughts. Opinions on him are all over the place. I heard from a writer who studies the games and watched him at Penn State. He liked what he saw. Uh, I talked to an NFC scout who said he's a special teamer. A lot depends on really what you thought of him going into the game. I know he's highly inexperienced, and it showed at times in coverage. I will also say Landon Collins made some mistakes, too, in coverage, missed a couple of tackles, had a dumb penalty, and that, that one deep completion was on, came on Darby and Collins' side. I got no questions on Landon Collins. I like Landon Collins. Anyway, Apke was excellent in the run game, came up aggressively, was assertive, tackled well. It's exactly what the film shows, so if you don't like hearing that, I can't help what I see. It's also what they feel, but I know that's what I saw. I also saw the coverage issues, and that's absolutely something worth watching. Yes, I have the same concerns that you do there. You've got to see. Will it, will it improve? Is it an experience or just who he is? For example, early in the game, Wentz moved him big time with his eyes on one route. He was Apke was cheating to his side on the play to begin with, and after moving with Wentz's, Wentz's eyes, he was further out of position, couldn't get back. Okay, lesson learned. But on the deep ball to Dallas Goddard, when Kevin Pierre-Lewis was in coverage, Wentz essentially stared at Goddard the whole way, and Apke held his ground in the middle. Because of it, he couldn't provide the necessary help. Now, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but he couldn't provide the help that he would have had he been reading the eyes. So was it an overcorrection? I don't know. I know there's a feeling that it was and that he's learning. They are pleased with his progress. I'm a Cameron Curl fan, but his work came up in the box as a third safety. I get asked a lot about Kendall Fuller's a safety. He's not a safety. He is a corner who can play safety in some coverages. Big difference. He's not an option. So they need Apke to develop. Just like the other young players, you have to measure Apke's progress. Again, much better against the run, needs to improve in coverage. Let's see where it goes. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you to Logan Paulson and Josh Weinfurst for joining me. Thanks to Lono Coffee for their continued support. And thank you for listening. Talk to you Monday morning with a recap of Washington's game at Arizona.